T-Wolves bounce back strong versus the Grizz on the road. They moved to 12-4 and on the year, and I got Wolves expert Jack Borman to help me break it all down, and it's coming up next on the Locked On Wolves postcast. You are Locked On Wolves postcast, part of Locked On Minnesota on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wolves get the dub tonight in Memphis, 119-97. They stay in first place in the Western Conference. What's happening? We're back in the lab, back at it. Another T-Wolves postcast episode right here on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network. You got myself, Luke Inman, at Luke underscore Spinman. That's the man, Jack Borman. He's on X, at JRBorman13. Jack, before we jump into all the action from tonight, quick reminder, tonight's postcast episode is brought to us by Prize Picks. The easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use code all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, brother, let's just jump right into this one. Wolves come into this one, right? I mean, looking to bounce back from their first home loss versus the Kings. That was Friday night, in which, I mean, the Kings were virtually unstoppable. I had Tyler Metcalf on. I haven't got to talk to you since then. But, I mean, they couldn't miss anything. That was just weird, really. And then, you know, that loss, for the most part, it booted the Wolves out of this in-season tournament in all likelihood. But before we get to all that, just give me your big headline from this one. Biggest takeaways, top of your head from tonight's win over the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah. I First of all, great to see you again. Absolutely. Um, you as well, yeah. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing from this one was just it's it's super nice to have Mike Conley in a game to really set the tone in in one that it probably wasn't going to have a whole lot of energy to it, even though you know we know the history between these two teams. Um, and the Wolves generally get up for this one, but I think you know not having John Morant kind of as a tone setter for um, you know for what this this rivalry, if you want to call it, has become, I think zapped a lot of juice out of it. Not to mention. Um, the Grizzlies had six additional players beyond John Morant that were, um, you know, rotation guys that were injured and did not play. So, you know, Mike Conley came out right away, set the tone, hit a three, um, you know, just was a really, really important, smooth operator in the half court. Uh, got a bunch of guys really good shots, got distributed the ball and got the ball to uh, to offensive players where they want to attack. Um, you know, Carl got it at the nail um, before he got into foul trouble, was really effective from there. Um, did a great job of, of helping get Rudy Gobert involved um, early, even though he wasn't quite as much of a factor late. Um, and then it was just awesome in transition. You know, I think the Wolves did a great job of, of running after stops. And Conley himself um, you know, grabbed a few rebounds. I think Conley ended up finishing with four rebounds. And I want to say probably all of them, he, he grabbed it and went and started the transition opportunity, uh, which was which was fantastic for the Wolves. So, um, you know, really great Mike Conley game, um, pretty low energy game from <laughs> from from just about everyone else. But uh, one other note, too, I think it was great to see Troy Brown knock down a couple of threes. Yeah. Um, he's been doing pretty much everything the Wolves could ask of him except for making threes, which is obviously something that um, is a pretty marketed skill of his uh, coming into this season is, is shot above 40 percent from the corners the last few years. Um, so it was great to see him knock down, knock down a couple. Should have had a third. I don't know what the rims in uh, FedEx Forum were uh, were greased with before before the game, but uh, it was great. it was great to see him knock down a couple and um, see him really kind of build some some confidence and hopefully 
uh, carry that forward as the Wolves, uh, you know, push on without without Jaden McDaniels here for another, you know, 10, 10 days to, to two weeks. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Troy Brown. I, I want to ask you about him specifically and the bench here in a second. But, hey, don't lie. How worried were you when they cut that lead to 12 with, like, six to play? Because I'm sure every Wolves fan still has some PTSD and is just kind of hardwired now at this point to assume the worst in those types of situations from what we saw last year. But that's always a sign of a great team, though, isn't it? Being able to put away teams and step on the throat late. Yeah, for sure. And again, it was Mike. It was Mike Conley, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Nikhil obviously hit a three, which was big. Um, but then Mike came and hit that that second three, which was followed by an awesome call from Michael Grady, where he said, "Bite, bite, might be night, night." Uh, to uh, <laughs> to kind of stomp out the uh, the ambers of that that comeback, which was which was fantastic. But but yeah, I think you know we've seen that from the Timberwolves so far this season, right? You think back to the. Um, the game against Golden State where they had, you know, those three guys, you know, their big three out and the Timberwolves kind of had to come back against an inferior opponent, you know, same business in New Orleans. Um, and now again tonight, you know, they're, they're taking care of business against teams that they should um, should beat. And it's it's been really refreshing to, uh, you know, especially see them kind of ward off these, um, you know, these late comeback attempts mm-hmm. when, when teams try to make the game a little bit closer than than what it really is. Um, you know, I think this team just is, is so strong defensively that when they really buy in and, and lock in and, and stay focused out on, the, on that end of the floor, um, you know, they're a really tough team to score on, especially when, when your team is down some, some offensive options that can space the floor like Memphis is. So, yeah, certainly a great thing. And to be, to be brutally honest with you, I, I haven't really thought too much about um, too much about those comebacks. I think it's kind of hard to, especially in a game like this where, um, you know, Memphis just doesn't really have that many guys. Um, maybe, maybe if they were playing a, a team that was fully loaded, you'd, you'd think about that For a little sure. bit. More, but um, yeah. Yeah. No, no. Well said. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think as this season continues to roll on, maybe again, some fans are starting to forget the past a little bit and realize, hey, this is a brand new season. Hit the reset button. Brand new team. Let's give them a chance. And certainly that's paid off big time through these first 15 games. And again, you know, Friday, the Wolves got toasted by Sacramento on the three ball tonight. For about three and a half quarters anyways, if you check the stat sheet at any point in the game, it was all Wolves. I mean, they ended the night shooting 44% from three. Grace shot less than 27%. But that was the big difference in this one. And again, up until the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight minutes, it was even more lopsided than that. Everything else on the stat sheet tonight was pretty much even. I mean, points in the paint, fast break points, turnovers, you name it. It was all pretty much square, except, again, the Wolves shooting percentage from both beyond the arc and inside. I mean, they handled the grids, man. I mean, pretty much start to finish, not pretty much literally from start to finish. They never let up. They never trailed in this one. They were into uh, basically total control from the opening tip-off. You talked about Mike Conley a little bit more, and again, you mentioned it. I just want to echo it. He really felt like the glue tonight, especially when Cat and Rudy and Ant kind of picked up some some early bad fouls in this one. But between the three ball and the assist, bite, bite, as they call him, I mean, he was surgical. I asked Tyler the other night, it feels like they still need a third scorer. And it, it is a game like this, does that make you feel like maybe Mike Conley could be that third scorer that the Wolves kind of need? Yeah, I wish my friend Jared Martinson were here. He's got a he's got a stat uh, of one. I think Mike Conley scores at least eleven, po- ten or eleven points. I want to say the Timberwolves have a winning percentage north of eighty percent. Wow. Um, wow. And, and the thing with Mike Conley is that is he's just so 
you know, important and consistent as a distributor and is a guy that, um, you know, is a really one of those really important kind of, you know, low usage, high impact players to be able to place around two pretty high usage, high impact stars and Ant and Cat. Um, you know, that he hasn't really been asked to, to, you know, be more assertive as a scorer. But when he is, the Timberwolves are really successful and they're really tough to beat. I mean, even when they were shorthanded down the stretch of last season, um, when you think about that Pelicans game, uh, when Jane breaks his hand and, and Rudy gets mm-hmm. sent home before the halftime, um, he was awesome in that game. He was great in the game against Oklahoma City. He was awesome in that um, in that second playing game against the Lakers. Um, you know, this team goes kind of as Mike Conley goes in, in a sense as a scorer some some nights. And tonight was one of those nights where, you know, I, I think you really kind of have to push Mike Conley into being that scorer. I think he really wants to be a scorer, especially when he's, you know, in an open catch and shoot. Um, three-point scenarios like he was tonight. I want to say he's shooting damn near 50% on catch-and-shoot threes um, so far this season. And so I, I think that Mike can be. I mean, once Jane McDaniels gets back, I think, um, you know, you want to be able to have him be the guy just because he's got more of that, you know, break you down off the dribble, kind of get to your spot and score. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it can be kind of, kind of be, you know, a mismatch weapon. Um, and, and you'd want to see Nas Reed be able to be that guy too. Um, you know, we haven't really seen a whole lot from Nas since he really exploded those first, um, you know, five or six games of the season. And so I think, you know, trying to find a way to get him going as a scorer again is going to be really important because I, you know, as, as much as Mike can do it and it's great when he does, I think that you want to really keep his focus as a playmaker and, and, you know, as a playmaker first, a scorer second, um, so, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting storyline to follow for sure, especially because I think, you know, as you get down later in the stretch of the season, potentially into the playoffs when these teams pick their matchups um, and kind of who they want to hide a, hide a, you know, poor defender on. That's what I think the, um, you know, that's what I think uh, the Timberwolves are going to look to, to exploit, whether it's, you know, Mike Conley breaking someone down or Jaden McDaniels breaking someone down or, or Nas Reed getting in the post. Um, you know, those types of things. So I think it's going to be matchup dependent. Um, it, it's it's unfortunate, I guess, a little bit that you don't have that consistent guy you can always look to to be that mm-hmm. third guy. Um, but, you know, hopefully it's a situation where uh, not forcing it to a third guy will be kind of advantageous to the Timberwolves and that they kind of do what the matchup asks of them so that they can kind of, you know, keep some more offensive flow and rhythm that, that follows the game plan um, rather than, you know, trying to square peg a round hole um, with that third scoring role, if that makes sense. That's actually a really good point, though, too. I mean, at that point, it gives you a little bit more flexibility. Again, you play it kind of night in, night out, pending the matchup. So I like what you said there, good breakdown. And and I got to ask you, too, what's with Bite Bite, by the way? I mean, do we have an origin story yet? Because up until this year, I've never heard anyone call Michael Conley Bite Bite. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's just Anthony Edwards being Anthony Edwards. Um, okay. The, the origin story came, okay. Ant was in the locker room, called him bite bite uh we asked him what the origin of that was he explained that uh mike conley looks like a guy who if he ever got in a fight that he would just bite someone um like mike tyson was was what ant said and so he started calling him bite bite and so i think that's kind of stuck just as a joke because of how much you know mike doesn't like it and i think mike just kind of rolls his eyes and laughs and smiles and goes along with it because he's a great guy um and that's and he knows that it's something that Ant loves poking fun at him for, so he just kind of lets it happen. But um, yeah, I I was actually at the the Timberwolves. I was I was up in the in the stands on uh, whatever night that was mm-hmm. on when they played. Um, oh man, who did they play? 
uh, I, I think it was uh, Wednesday, Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Sixers? Uh, the Sixers, yes. Thank you. Yeah. There was a guy in the stands right near me who had a custom number 10 Wolves bite bite jersey. Stop it. Already? Which was already. Yeah, I was, I, I dapped him up. Uh, oh, yeah. Great to. jersey. It was, it was pretty funny. Um, oh, that, that's it's, hilarious. It's fun that that's sticking a little bit. Man, yeah, I love this team. I love Ant, just his personality, his competitiveness, the whole thing. But when you hear stories like that, though, too, it just kind of adds to the whole aura of, and as well i'm so glad that's stuck too i'm sure conley just hates it too which is just kind of hilarious as well uh you mentioned the bench tonight you got shake milton he hit an early three we're still kind of hoping he can get some confidence going you mentioned troy brown he he hit two big threes early in the game and then you know Nas and kyle they're always solid and consistent but what'd you see from the rest of the bench tonight as we I don't know kind of continue to get some some more run with some of these guys without Jaden McDaniels on the court. Yeah, you know, I th I think, you know, I really liked like I said from from Troy Brown. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been a really good energy guy. Um, you know, obviously spaces the floor from the corners. He's also been a pretty effective corner crasher um from the three-point line out in the corner there, which is, you know, a, a pretty big point of emphasis for certain NBA offenses, especially if you're going against a smaller team that's going to struggle on the glass and you know, Obviously, it's important that the that the Wolves have the you know the, the target centers, the Twin Towers, the Northern Heights, whatever you want to call them. Um, but you know, trying to get one of those guys back in transition and corner crashing with with one of those bigs, I think, uh, is a, is a better strategy, and it's worked out better for the Timberwolves uh, both in transition defense and on the offensive glass. So I think um, you know Troy Brown has a lot of value there. Um, I, I think Shake Milton used his length pretty well defensively tonight. Uh, which was important. You know, he, he's got a really long wingspan. He's like six, five, but he's got almost a seven foot wingspan, which makes him a really effective shot contester. Um, you know, he, he does a good job of kind of, uh, you know, staying in the weeds and, and playing in the gaps, if you will, defensively um, to make those passes that are one pass away a lot more difficult. Um, but he can also then, you know, rely on that length to be kind of, you know, a late contester, if you will, Um which is effective, especially on three-point shooters and, and in situations where you don't want to foul a jump shooter. He can just kind of be further away from the defender, doesn't have to jump at the defender quite as much, which is helpful. And I think that's a huge reason why the Timberwolves, um, you know, have been a really good uh, three-point defensive team is they have so much length and, and are really good um, contesting. And then, you know, I, I know he only played for two minutes, all right? Okay, okay. But I'm really excited about Leonard Miller. Um, oh, just okay. his, I was going to ask you about him his, and Wendell Moore. Was and it's brought not just up. Yeah. because it's his birthday. You know, I'm not mm -hmm. just shouting him out because it's his birthday. But um, man, just the fluidity that he has at six foot ten, six eleven. His passing instincts are awesome. Um, you know, and I think he he can be a really effective driver. He's got some good touch around the rim, and he shot the ball pretty well from three um, with a pretty quick release. Honestly, that, that looks much improved from last season, uh, while playing down in the G league for the, for the Iowa wolves. I think he's just kind of cleaned up his handle a little bit, but, you know, made a couple of, made a couple of fun plays, um, in the two minutes that he was out there. Um, you know, and, and then I think Kyle Anderson too, just to, just to wrap up with the bench was, was awesome in that second quarter. Um, he, he kind of quarterbacked, a a really intriguing, um, you know, stretch there. That was, that was fun to watch. You know, he was playing out there with, Milton Brown Jr., uh, Reed, and Towns there at the start of the second quarter. Uh, that lineup was was plus seven on the first three thirty or so. Um, was just setting everyone up, getting getting the guys a bunch of good 
good open looks for for guys in, in spots where they like to attack from. That was something that I said Mike Conley did early in the first quarter, and Kyle Anderson did it in the second quarter, which is great. So, um, you know, I've seen his name kind of thrown around as like a trade chip uh, with some Wolves fans online, um, you know, in the last week or two, especially when you consider some of the intrigue that a guy like Leonard Miller has. But, but man, when that offense gets sticky and when, you know, things kind of get bogged down and you just kind of start looking around like, all right, who's going to kind of grab this game by the horns and, um, and make some, make some plays and make some things happen to get the train back on the tracks. So a lot of times it often ends up being Kyle Anderson when he's on the floor. And I think the Wolves would really miss that if they tried to, to use him as a, as a trade chip for, you know, maybe a scoring guard or something like that. So, um, just another another game where he really proved his value and, and was really important in the Timberwolves blowing this thing open. Uh, last quick one about Miller, because I asked Tyler this too. You know, I saw after, or I should say before the Sixers game, saw they called up Miller and Wendell Moore. But I asked Tyler this, and, and I'm such an NFL draft nerd. I really geek out about the younger guys in the league and the draft picks and all that. Sounds like you're high on Leonard Miller as well as Tyler was as well. I mean, he got me all jacked up about Leonard Miller, but do you got like a comp for him yet? Or does his playing style remind you of anybody uh, as far as maybe just kind of playing style, I guess, maybe two, three years down the road, fans could kind of look forward to once he hits, hopefully his ceiling at some point. Yeah, and Tyler's kind of like you, or he's all over the NBA draft. And he's he awesome loves it. with that. Yeah. Um, and Leonard Miller was a consensus first round pick. Um, pretty much anywhere you looked pre-draft and the Timberwolves got him. I think I want to say at 33. Sounds right. Yeah. Um, I, right. I need to look that up. I, I can't remember the exact number, um, but they got him too with picks in that Mike Conley trade. So that trade essentially became Mike Conley, Nikhil Alexander Walker and Leonard Miller for Dilo, which was a heist. Um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, back to Leonard Miller, I think, you know, if you want to look at a left-handed guy, I think Lamar Odom makes a lot of sense as, as kind of a point forward at that, you know, six ten, six eleven. Um, you know, is a good athlete in his prime, has really good passing instincts, can shoot it. I think Lamar Odom was a better shooter and probably, you know, a little bit better off the dribble in terms of creating his own shot. But in terms of just be able to create mismatches as a, you know, as a good passer and, and finisher with a lot of length at that four spot, I think, you know, he's a guy that 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 makes sense and, and jumps out to me. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of guys in, in the league now that that are at that four, that playmaking not playmaking four spot. We see what Kyle Anderson can do here in Minnesota. Um, and, and so it's fun that, you know, Leonard Miller is being, is going to be able to learn from a guy like slow-mo um, and, you know, how to be able to use uh, passing at his size to be such a weapon and create for other people um, and get in the lane and be able to crash. But then also, you know, when things bog down, you lose your dribble in the middle of the lane, still be able to elevate right. over guys. We see slow-mo do that, do that all the time um, if a pass isn't there. So, uh, it's going to be really fun to see him develop and uh, yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, you know, we may, we may see some rotation minutes um, from him later in the season, depending if, you know, they're not able to, you know, get really consistent production from shake Milton or Troy Brown. And I'm going to revert it back to the NFL, man. But I just think about, okay, cause you brought up a great point about slow-mo kind of taking Leonard Miller, maybe under his wing a little bit, kind of molding him a little bit, just being that wily veteran in the locker room off the court, things like that. It's like, you think about, okay, Adam Thielen, he kind of helped Stefan Diggs and JJ. And now you got JJ kind of taking Jordan Addison under his wing as well. So yeah, if they could get 
anything from either one of those guys. That would be just such gravy on top of this roster right now. But like you said, I think more of a project still. Great that he actually got on the court for two minutes tonight, but something that we should probably pump the brakes, reevaluate next season, but we'll see. Um, and, I, wanna, what, what, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. just really yeah. quick, I mean, yeah. I think Leonard Miller would be ready to play, uh, you know, in, in a team's not. I mean, maybe on the back end of a team's rotation, um, you know, but it's just that Timberwolves are so deep and have so many veterans that are ready right. to contribute right now. I think, you know, mm -hmm. if you put a Leonard Miller on a team like, you know, the Grizzlies or, or the Rockets or, um, you know, the Spurs even or, or, you know, teams like that that are kind of reloading or, or you know, need help on the wing, um, need size in the wing. Like, I think you would play for a lot of teams. It's just the Timberwolves, the way they're set up. They just don't have the minutes available. Uh, yeah, right that's awfully fun to think about, though, right now, too, just knowing that the raw talent is there, that, like you said, maybe an injury tour. Of course, you hope that's not the case, knock on wood. But, um, you know, if needed, he could be called upon, which is, I mean, that's pretty fun and exciting to think about. Um, I want to ask you a little bit more about the the Wolves' defense, and I know we've dived into that quite a bit. But um, first, I got a quick word from Prize Picks. Quick reminder, tonight's postcast was brought to us by our friends over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks, it's without a doubt the most fun I've had playing daily fantasy because you can win up to 25 times your money this football season. Why I love it, it's so easy to play. All you got to do is select two or more players, pick more or less than their projected stats on any given night, and now you can cross sports and pick multiple players in different sports altogether. That's just one of the reasons why Prize Picks is the funnest way to play daily fantasy. Plus... And you know this, Jack, PrizePix now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account all season long. And with the PrizePix reboot policy, your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So if in any NFL game or college football matchup, if your player gets hurt in the first half, let's say, and doesn't return, that player gets rebooted on your bet slip. How great is that? That makes prize picks the only daily fantasy platform around that offers you injury insurance to give you that extra peace of mind right now. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Use code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That's promo code locked on NBA at prizepicks.com slash locked on for a 100% bonus match up to $100. One more time prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA for a 100% bonus match today. We've talked about this defense a ton, as we should. I mean, they're just red hot right now. But I want to ask you about assistant coach Elston Turner for a minute because how much do you think, just your two cents, he's had to do with the defensive turnaround this year? Because I know it sounds like he kind of runs things on that end of the floor. So I just want your two cents on him, what his role is, and kind of the job he's done this year. Yeah, I mean, he's you know just how you have it in football. He's your defensive coordinator. Chris Finch said last week or two weeks ago um, – uh, during a post-game media availability that the Timberwolves staff is is constructed in a way very similar to football where you have an offensive coordinator he kind of is is that role um you have Mike Inori kind of helps put rotations together as kind of your associate head coach you know kind of that you know senior advisor uh to the to the head coach role if you will and then and then you have ET as a defensive coordinator and and all these guys really respect Elston Turner and that's the thing straight away 
um, that, that's really important. Um, and, you know, I, I can't remember which game it was, but Anthony Edwards said after a game where they came out uh, really flat and just said, man, E.T. cussed us out, was screaming at us in the locker mm. room. And he's always super chill and never does that. So so we had to turn it around for him. And, you know, I think that speaks to the fact that, you know, he's a guy that doesn't need to, you know, scream and yell to get his point across in that, you know, I think his, his MO and, and his kind of standard operating state is, you know, just a really calm dude that, uh, is really cerebral, sees the game, um, you know, with a lot of experience. And that's really important for, for a team that, um, you know, hasn't had a whole lot of experience um, playing a bunch of different concepts of defense. Like when you think two years ago, Timberwolves played a high wall defense where, where the big defender was really up at the level of the screen. They didn't play a lot of zone. Um, and now this year they're playing a lot more drop coverage. Um you know, where the big defending the screen is is kind of sinking down into the paint and, and guys in the corners are staying home on shooters. Um, they're, they're switching more, which is important because they have all this length and versatility. Um, and they are playing some zone too. Um, you know, when they have some longer personnel with Carl Anthony Towns at the five, which has worked really, really well. And I think uh, Turner's done an awesome job of, of kind of picking and choosing his spots of where he wants to tinker, where he wants to throw a zone in against a team that might have a second unit that doesn't really shoot it very well. Like he kind of plans all this out, like, all right, let's project what this other team's rotation is going to look like, who might be on the floor at what points of the game, how they might match up with certain guys we might have at the on the floor at that point of the game. And then, you know, this is going to be our first look of defense. If that doesn't work, we're going to have a second one ready to go. And I think that the Timberwolves haven't been afraid to to go to a defense, to switch away from a defense, um, which has been really important. And I think, you know, your ability to kind of uh, toggle defenses like that uh, is really important in the playoffs, especially when, you know, you're just looking to, to steal two, three, four possessions at a time. Um, you know, and, and obviously you're going to see a team, you know, potentially seven times. And so there's going to be a lot of diving into the film, diving into numbers. Where can we, you know, get the, the slightest little mismatch and, and predict, you know, what teams or how, how a team might change its rotation. And, and like you said, you know, or like I said, like getting back to those, those matchups of projecting who, what 10 guys are going to be on the floor and how, you know, we can build a defense that's going to, you know, defend those five guys best. So, um, it's been really fun to watch. And, um, you know, like I said, I, you know, it just, you feel like you have so much more control over the game when, when you're able to, to control it defensively, um, because you can always, uh, you can always bring attitude, energy, effort, um, you know, being locked in on that end of the floor, no matter if shots are falling or not. And that, that's been a huge reason why the Timberwolves are, what are they 12 and four now, uh, which yeah. I think is the best mm -hmm. 16 game start in team history. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, a lot of that credit goes to, to Elson Turner and, and using the uh, using the pieces on the chessboard uh, in, in a great way. So uh, great breakdown right there. Learned a lot from that. And, and again, I revert everything back to the NFL. And in the NFL, if you got a red hot assistant coach, odds are they're going to be in the running for a head coaching job at some point down the line. Is it is it kind of similar in the NBA at all? I mean, do you think they could lose Elson at some point if the defense stays this hot because I know Minnesota fans don't want to lose Brian Flores and Elston anytime soon. I know that. I'd be really surprised considering okay. that Elston Turner, I, I want to say is 64, 65 years old. Uh, it's, you know, it's not common that a guy would get a first head coaching look at, at that age. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if it happened, you know, great, great for, great for Elston. But, you know, I think some of these guys are, you know, are more than happy to, to be coordinators and be awesome at what they do at this stage in their career. And, and ET certainly, you know, 
could be one of those guys. I'm, I'm honestly not sure, but uh, it's pretty rare for a for a head coach to to get a to get a look for the first time at, at age 64. Okay, so. so we don't have to. Just Flores is the only one Minnesota fans have to worry <laughs> about next offseason. Hey, you that's mentioned right. more drop coverage, and you kind of touched on it. I know that's where Rudy excelled in Utah, and then you got the high wall scheme. They played a little bit more last year and years previous. Can you break it down in layman's terms, just that high wall? Just 30 seconds, your elevator pitch, just so we kind of know what we're looking at or, or, or what we should watch for, I guess, when we sit down and watch the T-Wolves kind of D up. Exactly. So it all depends on, on you know, pick and roll is obviously the, the most simple and most common you know play we see in the NBA. So when a, a big man comes to set a screen for a guard or, or for the ball handler, um, you basically have to look at what the guy who is defending the big man setting the screen does. If, if the guy who is defending the big man kind of stays, you know, right attached to him and is, you know, up at the level of the screen, um, a lot of times that's that's a high wall defensive concept, especially if if the um, you know, if that big defender stays up there after the, you know, the big man is done screening and he stays up there to try to, you know, force the ball to stay on the perimeter. Um, and then once the the guard makes that pass, the, the big man defender will then get back to the big man in the paint. Um, so we saw that a lot versus Memphis. It's much more common against really quick athletic guards um, to try to, you know, force the ball out of their hands so they don't get this runway into the paint against drop coverage. And that's what we saw um, that's what we saw against Sacramento, where the Timberwolves are playing that drop coverage and, and there wasn't anyone up there to, to you know, make De'Aaron Fox go east to west. Um, and, he, and he had that runway to the paint. And then obviously with drop coverage, um, you know, that big man is kind of backpedaling into the paint when the big man is setting the screen, anticipating that guard to come around the screen. Um, so it's great for, you know, forcing teams into mid-range shots if they don't have a great mid-range shooting guard. Um, but you know, that high wall coverage, um, you know, again, probably would have been something that they could have turned to against a guy like, a guy, a guy like Fox. Yeah. And I heard coach Finch say it this week that kind of the back and forth last year between the two styles was kind of a, a major reason why they struggled last year and not because of Rudy or cat or Ant, but because everyone else around them kind of struggled to keep up. It was like, okay, I'm coming in cold off the bench and all of a sudden my head's kind of spinning, trying to keep up. And so I hear something like that. And then I think back to last year's season just again filled with so many second half collapses I mean do you think that could have been one of the the big reasons why we did see so many second half debacles last year because I know there's a lot of reasons it's not just one thing for their turnaround but I just wonder if that's coming into play with the big difference from last year to this year's defense yeah I think it's certainly part of it um you know I, I think another part of it too is the Timberwolves just didn't really have much practice time um mm. you know yeah they had a full training camp. They didn't really have a full training camp last year. Um, when you consider the fact that Gobert was hurt and didn't practice much, Ant was overweight, um, and Carl Anthony Towns was really sick, so they didn't have a lot of practice time. Then Carl gets hurt. They're trying to practice and figure this stuff on the fly in the first 20 games, and you kind of have to throw it out with different personnel. Um, and they had a full, healthy training camp with everyone, everyone able, ready to go. You know, that the team was pretty much the same with, with, the exception of the last man in the rotation this year. So they're able to talk about those types of things over the summer. You know, the terms that you're going to use defensively were all the same as what they were last year. So you have more familiarity with those types of things. Um, but then again, like it's just another year of being able to play with Rudy Gobert, right? Like Rudy Gobert is the center of the universe for this Timberwolves defense, no matter what, at, you know, what they're playing and, and everyone else pretty much follows Rudy's lead and, and, you know, got used to his communication and, and kind of how to play with him, where to be on the floor when he's out there, depending on the coverage. And 
and all that good stuff. So, you know, even though I think last season was kind of a lost season in that, in that regard, I think they, they did, you know, pick up some of those things. When you, when you think about terms, you think about um, how to play with someone like Rudy Gobert, um, especially in drop coverage, those, those types of things. So, yeah, well, again, whatever they're doing, obviously it's working. I mean, I know these rankings change pretty much every night, but for the most part, you're talking about the best overall defense in the league and top five, if not top three in multiple categories from the floor and from three shooting percentage, all that stuff. I'd like to pick your brain more about some of the analytics and do a little bit more of a deep dive into the defensive statistics. Um, maybe some other night, maybe Tuesday after, or whenever you're on next, I think Tyler's on with me on Tuesday, but uh, you're right, man. It's all good right now with the assistant coach, Elson Turner and the job he's doing. Um, um, and it's just been really fun to watch this turnaround, drastic turnaround from last year to this year. A couple more quickies to close. I got two more for you right after a quick word from FanDuel. Quick reminder, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook and official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Right now, new customers, you're getting $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line wager. That means all you got to do is find the best money line bet you like. You wager $5, you win that bet, you're getting $150 in bonus bets back. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on all the action. The app, it's so easy to use. And they got everything you need. Money lines, parlays, prop bets, you name it, they got it. FanDuel's got everything you need to bet on the entire NBA season. And it's by far the easiest and simplest betting app to use. So go check it out for yourself. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn today. America's number one sportsbook. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. All right, last couple before we wrap up. Get out of here. Wolves' last regular season in-season tournament game. That comes Tuesday versus the Thunder. That game's at home. And I'm sure we'll have a lot more clarity around the entire situation once we get there. Still a lot of basketball left to be played. But... As of now, even if the Wolves beat the Thunder, they'll need help from the Warriors. And because of point differential, they'll need a lot of help and then some as it stands now here tonight. So basically, Warriors need to win. They need to win by a lot. Wolves need to win. They need to win by a lot. And if that doesn't work out, then their next best bet is the wild card. But again, because of the point differential, sounds like they're definitely on the outside looking in, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's kind of a you know it's 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 kind of a funny situation of you know. So you're saying there's a chance, right? Where <laughs> right, you know, right. for all intents and purposes, they're eliminated. I, I think like the recipe is for Golden State to beat the Kings by like twelve or thirteen, and then the Timberwolves to beat the Thunder by at least twenty. Um, I, I think is is you know I I have to look at the numbers to give you an exact answer, but. Um, yeah, that's what, that's what you're hoping for. But, you know, I mean, nothing else matters if you, if you don't blow out the, if you don't blow out the thunder. So yeah, I think that the Timberwolves, you know, probably aren't going to try to run up the score and, and make that game a crazy game, considering that I think that that Kings Warriors game will take place after, mm. you know, that, that Timberwolves game is done pretty much. So, um, I think all you can do is just try to take care of business. Um, and, and the last thing I guess you'd want to is to, to have an injury because you're trying to run the score up in, uh, yeah. in the fourth quarter, yeah. too. And the that, Timberwolves that, can't afford that right now. No, that's a good point. Well said. Well done tonight. As always, love picking your brain about this stuff. Wolves bounce back strong versus the Grizzlies tonight. They moved to 12-4 and four on the season with tonight's 119-97 victory. As always, 
Huge shout out to everyone who joined us on tonight's postcast. Rest assured, we'll be back each and every game, same time, same place, right here to break it all down. Quick reminder as well, go check out all Jack's work on Twitter, at JRBorman13. That's going to do it for us tonight, though. Next on deck, it's the Thunder this Tuesday, tip-off, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Again, join us right here for the entire recap. And... Follow all our work over on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota Network. And one more plug, last one, I swear. If you haven't already, go check out Ben Beacon over on the Lockdown Wolves podcast as well. He's Jack Borman. I'm Luke Inman on Twitter, at Luke underscore Spinman. Until next time, signing out.